Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. One of New Orleans' greatest treasures are the legacy businesses that have kept locals wined and dined for generations. On this week's show, we're sharing the full story of two institutions that share both an area code and the devotion of family required to keep a legacy going. We begin with Barrow's Catfish, a black-owned eatery that has been a cornerstone of the Holly Grove neighborhood in New Orleans since 1943. Deidre Barrow Johnson and her husband Kenneth share the story of their family's legacy, one that began with a fried catfish sandwich sold from Deirdre's grandfather's barroom door. Then, we explore what it takes to move a landmark when Tushak's restaurant opens their doors to us at their new location, just five blocks down Decatur from where Tujak's had called home since 1914. The original spot where Guillaume Tujak and his wife Marie Abadie Tujak first opened in 1856 was also on Decatur, just a few doors closer to Esplanade. How do you move a historic landmark while retaining 165 years of charm and tradition? You'll learn all about it as we explore dining legacies on the move on this week's Louisiana Eats. Hi, I'm Deidre Johnson of Barrow's Catfish. And I'm Kenneth Johnson of Barrow's Catfish. Deirdre Johnson is the third generation of the family that opened Barrow's Shady Inn, one of New Orleans' longest-running black-owned restaurants, famous for their catfish. She and her husband, Kenneth, are keeping the family business alive through its latest iteration, Barrow's Catfish, located just blocks away from the restaurant her grandparents founded back in 1943. Like many New Orleans stories, it's not just about a business. It's a love story. It's a history of a family's resilience in the face of tragedy. And it's a story about new beginnings. Deidre began by telling us what motivated her grandparents to open Barrow's Shady Inn 80 years ago. Well, my grandmother and my grandfather, of course, you knew that that was a very segregated time. And my grandfather had the idea to start a bar for people of color. And that was his intent. It was not to uh, have a restaurant or a catfish restaurant, let alone. But he started the bar and he ended up selling catfish sandwiches out of the back door for 50 cents. It was a select catfish. My grandfather drove every week a place called the Zalman's and went and got the fresh wild catfish. I'm talking large catfish as almost as tall as me when I was a little girl and they would fillet it all day on Mondays. We had to close down on Mondays because that was our processing day. 
And all we sold was catfish and potato salad, either bones in or bones out. And it ended up taking off and uh, people grew to love uh, this icon in the community. Then my father uh, continued on the legacy. He took over maybe in the 70s and barrels took off uh, really to the next level kind of worldwide around that time. And uh, he ran it along with a family member and a couple other family members until his passing. Well, prior to him uh, passing, he was grooming my brother. Let me say that Uh, my brother would probably have jumped ahead of me and he would have been the third generation. Uh, He passed and my husband and I started dating in the 80s. And when my brother passed, we came in and uh, we groomed. He was groomed by my father and learned everything about the business. What do you think makes Barrow's Catfish so special and so different? Well, I'll let my husband continue on with that because uh, he's hands-on with the fish and was groomed by my dad, but it's been the same since my, my grandparents started. We, he learned yeah. everything. I mean, I think the key for us is the fact that uh, we keep the product very close to us. When I say close, I mean, uh, it's very delicate. We take our time. Of course, the special season blend that's been passed down uh, for generations, but just the, the processing. I mean, the processing is, is about two days of how we season, marinate it. And then even from the, 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 the frying technique, uh, making sure that there's the right balance of cornmeal to fish, because if it's too much moisture, then the cornmeal is too cakey. And even from the standpoint of the fish itself, you have to have the right uh, balance of water when you're actually seasoning it, because if it's too wet or too dry, that distort the color presentation and also the temperature. The temperature has to be right. A lot of the, the new guys, when I bring them in and train them, they say, well, I see you have a temperature gauge on your fryers, but you know how do you know before? How do you guys know what the temperature was right? I said, well, I was taught we had to stick our finger in the grease. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll look at me like, really? I said, no, nah, that's just a joke. Don't, don't try that, please. <laughs> My dad used to tell that joke. <laughs> But that, to me, is such a beautiful part of your story. Kenneth, tell me the story of how you came into this family. Well, we, you know, we, we uh, hit it off from the beginning. And um, as she stated after her brother passed, I guess we had dated maybe two or three years. And I just, you know, our, uh, I was in college at the time. And her dad, uh, we were having a conversation. He asked me, he said, look, you, you know what's happening? You know, I, he knew I was in college. He said, it could be a great fit. When you're in college, you're broke, you don't have any money. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, we need help around here. And I thought it was going to just sort of be a, a, a you know, job in between semesters. And I got in and uh, did well at it. And like anything, whenever I, you know, whatever I do, I try to do my best. And it just one thing led to another. And, and as I said, you know, the rest is history. And he's being very modest because um, when my brother passed, it, of course, it was very devastating. He was only 24 and it was my, my father's only son. And so my husband, uh, boyfriend at the time, he just came to my father and he said, um, if it's anything that you need me for, I'm here. I know I can't replace your son, but you know, I'm here for you uh, in any way. And then my father later on came to him and said, you know, I need you. So that really touched my my dad because no one was able to come in and and do what he did at that time. 
And how did the marriage proposal happen? So did you did you ask the boss for permission, or did the boss have an idea what was going on? He knew. I mean, we we spent a lot of time together. Um, you know, we studied together. We was you know, together all the time when I because I also played football in college. So whenever I wasn't practicing and playing, we were together. But I, I did ask. You know, I told him one day that I would love to marry your daughter, and then. He, he said, well, I thought you guys was already married, but I thought you may have had it low. But you know, we were always, always together. together, you know. So I just tell you, you know, we spent a lot of time, we were, you know, together uh, while we were dating. So we just yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah going on 30 years, 30 years this year. By the 1990s, local newscasters, national food reporters, and big names like Muhammad Ali and Oprah Winfrey made their way to this hidden Holly Grove gem to sample their famous catfish. While Chef Billy Jr. appreciated the business, he had no interest in name dropping. This was the way my dad was. He never wanted to put celebrity pictures on the wall because this was his motto that everyone is important. Yeah, he didn't want he wanted the less. Joes in the neighborhood to feel just as important as any celebrity or anyone that came to buy his product that made him feel good. It didn't matter what your status was, how important you were, how much money you had. If you took the time to pass up all the restaurants and come to buy mine in this little corner, tucked away, then that, that you're a celebrity to me. And we tell our kids that all the time where we close at nine o'clock or we 10 before COVID. Uh, but if it's 9.05 and a customer pulls up, turn that grease back on. Right. We're ready to close, we're closed, right. no. They drove all the way past all these other restaurants, come all the way from Slidell or wherever it was, turn that grease back on. You can wait. I have such a visual memory. I mean, long before Earhart Expressway was built. Came through, yeah. You know, of course, everybody and their brother just had to notice Barrow's Catfish once yeah. it was there. But it was such a a sturdy brick building and the neon sign. Yeah, it was it was a um, it was an eye catcher. You had to see it, even if you didn't know it, what, what it was, especially at nighttime. It was lit up uh, with the neon sign and the catfish barrels shady in at the time. Uh, and so it was a white building uh, with a courtyard. It was a very beautiful property and with the neon and when it lit up. It was very, um, very noticeable when you drove by. Yeah, he was actually, um, and my wife has that same gift. I would always, uh, you know, mention to her father, I said, how do you see things in such an abstract way like he did? I mean, just the way he would lay the courtyard out or he would say, well, hey, son, I'm going to watch. I'm going to put this stone here. I'm going to plant this there. Or we're going to do this and do that. And build some of the and tables like, out there. I don't see that. <laughs> You know, I'm a numbers guy. I don't, I don't see that kind of stuff. But I mean, he could just sit back and tell me something. And then a day or two later, uh, I see it after, you know, he's executed it. And, and that's kind of the, the, the talent that and the vision he had for just laying the property out, you know, just from the color scheme. Um, and like I said, the, the neon was just beautiful. 
he took a lot of pride, um, not just in the fish, but everything that represented barrels, everything that he placed his signature on it, it was uh, first class. And, and we strive very hard to continue that legacy, you know, not just with the fish, but everything that we do. Tragically, in 1999, Billy Jr. was walking a block away from his restaurant when he was hit by a car and killed. He was just 59 years old. Suddenly, the next generation was pushed to lead the restaurant into the 21st century. They brought their own ideas to the family business and added a second location on the West Bank. We were... Uh, you know, finding our way is one thing to work with a father and to learn. But once you're now responsible for the operation and everyone's relying on you and what it was for us at the time, um, a year before Katrina, we had expanded to the West Bank uh, with the second location. A lot of what people see today was actually what we were testing uh, at that time. What we found that people were coming from the East Bank all the way to the West Bank because they heard of what we were doing. So it was going very well. So we were very excited by that. Uh, our kids were, you know, yeah. they were young, good place. Um, they saw the expansion. They were very excited, you know, getting into some merchandising spices. We we're working on that as well. By the summer of 2005, business was booming and things were looking rosy for Deirdre, Kenneth, and their children. Then, as with so many of us, their fortunes reversed on August the 29th, 2005, when the levees failed following the passage of Hurricane Katrina. That weekend, um, we thought it was just another weekend like we always we did. We had just we, purchased a brand new yeah. air condition. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we had we, Just <laughs> we, life as usual, life running as usual, a business, you know, purchase our fish. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and pack the bag, get away for the weekend. and But we weren't really going to leave. We weren't going to leave. Um, I was, you know, like she said, we had all this inventory and and I, my uh, employees, they weren't going to leave. I said, okay, guys, we just stay open, you know, and the Saturday morning, I was looking at the news and I saw how big that and massive that storm was. Mm. And then I thought about, okay, no electricity, <laughs> no AC, humidity, you know, my wife, my kids, you know, I could, you know, my kids, I had to always keep them busy. I, I didn't even want to imagine being in a house with them. And I said, okay, guys, let's just go away for the weekend. And we decided to go east. And I was sitting in the hotel and I was watching Anderson Cooper. And he said, a breach in the levee. And I'm like, okay, I know what breach mean, hmm. but let me pull out my uh, dictionary.com <laughs> and see all the meanings of the word breach. And when he showed Xavier University in, the, in that area right there on uh, Washington and Carrollton, and I saw the water level, you know, and I told my wife, I said, we're not going back. It'll be a while. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to have to put a resume together or something. Yeah, they, they had a, a diagram. We never forget we were lying in the hotel and there was a diagram of what could happen the next day. And they showed the bowl, the crescent. And my father, I remember immediately at that moment, all my life, I would hear him say, baby, we're in a bowl, we're in a bowl. And I could not understand what that meant. And when I saw that, that diagram, 
that illustration on the news, I had an aha moment like, oh my God, that's what my daddy was saying. And like my husband said, we were not planning to leave uh, because time and time again, you live in New Orleans, let's wing it, you know, let's just stay here. Let's just trust God and let's lay low and get some food and have a hurricane party, you know? But who would have known that it would have been that devastating? After three decades in business, Katrina shuttered the doors of Barrow's Shady Inn. But it wasn't the end of the family business. When we come back from a short break, our conversation with Deirdre and Kenneth Johnson continues as we learn how they're reintroducing the legacy of the Hollygrove mainstay with its newest iteration, Barrow's Catfish. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce. How New Orleans does flavor. If you're just joining us, we've been speaking with Deirdre Johnson and Kenneth Johnson of Barrow's Catfish. They're the third generation of family that opened Barrow's Shady Inn one of New Orleans' longest-running black-owned restaurants. When we left off, the levee failures following Hurricane Katrina had shuttered the expanding family business. With their two kids just entering their preteen years, Deirdre and Kenneth made the tough decision to decamp to Georgia and get out of the restaurant game for a while. At that point, the, the kids, the wel- welfare and well-being of our kids became top priority. Uh, we knew even during the time crime was kind of, you know, a concern in New Orleans. And the schools. So I said, let's just stay here, you know, where we were in Atlanta and just raise our kids, give them the best opportunity. And then said, so once we got them through high school or whatever, we can come back and decide what we're going to do. And we knew eventually that we would come back. Um, it was just a matter of uh, the right timing. Um, all the family that was connected to the business was gone. Mm -hmm. And it would just be my husband and I. So we took that time off for those four years that we were in Atlanta and then came home and uh, waited for an opportunity to open the business again. The placement of the new restaurant was really brilliant. You're like, you're just right there on Earhart Expressway. Yeah. That was key for us because we had a, a checklist of what we were looking for uh, in the right location. Of course, we wanted to come back into Earhart uh, area, Carrollton area, 
Um, but visibility, which we knew we had before, but accessibility was very, very key for us. Yeah. So we had like a five point uh, checklist, checklist of the perfect place. You know, people, once we put the word out, we wanted to reopen. You know, people was calling us all over the city. Well, we found this spot. We were like, uh, I don't think that's it. And I was just scrolling online one night and I saw the building. She was asleep. I woke her up. I said, look, I think I found, I think I found the place. And she's like, where? I said, it's in Earhart, off of Earhart in Carrollton. And when we walked in, she looked at the place. She said, this is it. And we met with our kids, which we knew it was time because they were in, working in education and we were having dinner one day and we was very surprised of their enthusiasm. And, and we say, hey, look, you know, your mom and I think about reopening the restaurant you know, would you guys be interested? And they were like, yes. So once we got buy-in from them, we knew uh, it was the right time. And they've been committed ever since. So let's talk about opening the business again. <laughs> when was that? When did you get that business reopened exactly? That was July 6, 2018, when we found uh, the time and the place. We were a little afraid. I'm not going to uh, sit here and tell you that it was okay, uh, just a, a walk in the park. But again, after all that time had gone by, we knew that a lot of our customer base probably had died off. Uh, communities change. You have a new generation uh, getting back in the game, you know, 13 years later, starting it over like it was a new business. Uh, we had the brand, but it was like opening up a new business again. So it was a little scary. Um, but my husband and I sit and we shake our head because of the support and the love. The first week, the line was wrapped around the corner and it brought, I, I called my husband outside and I said, please come and see. He's like, what? I can't stop working. What? I was like, you've got to come and see this. And we came outside and I'm not talking about a line that was moving. People stood in line right. for two, three hours until we ran out of catfish and we had to shut down from three o'clock and tell them we were going to reopen at six or seven. And they stood in the heat, didn't want to lose their place, didn't go home and come back. They stood and waited for us to open again because they wanted to be a part of history. So what does the future hold? What's in the hopper for what comes next? Well, we're um, definitely with the expansion right now. It's about putting things in place for the fourth generation. Uh, you know, we don't have grandkids yet, uh, <laughs> but I'm constantly uh, talking, speaking it in the restaurant around the staff My because we want them to understand that <laughs> all the decisions we make are for the fourth, for the and, fifth, fourth yeah. and fifth generation. We, we wanted to build it enough where everyone could be a part because it's a family business. Our grandparents and father, you know, gave us a very strong brand. Uh, we had the privilege of working closely with them, understanding the history and the things it took, you know, for the brand to be as strong as it, it is. And we're passing that on uh, to our kids. But now that's the plan to, to yeah. expand with a few, yeah. more, a few more and we, locations. We, yeah, we'd like to do some uh, even, you know, step outside the state. You know, we'd like to do some some something outside of the city as well. That's always been a hope of us. 
Well, it has been an honor and a pleasure to spend this time with you all. Thank you so Likewise. much. Likewise. Likewise. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you for having, for having us. us. Really appreciate it. That was Deirdre Barrows Johnson and Kenneth Johnson, third generation owners of Barrows Catfish, located at 8300 Earhart Boulevard in New Orleans. Which New Orleans restaurant boasts the longest family legacy of hospitality in America? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. Just 40 minutes from New Orleans, Louisiana North Shore's Tammany Taste features the bounty of the bayou and rich culinary culture from award-winning chefs, mom-and-pop restaurants, specialty bakers, and creative mixologists. To discover more, request the Explore the North Shore Inspiration Guide for local stories, custom itineraries, and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, where New Orleans has come to play and get away for more than a century. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Which New Orleans restaurant boasts the longest family legacy of hospitality in America? This is one I love to unravel. The nation's oldest restaurant is said to be New York City's Delmonico, founded in 1837. But for the record, Delmonico's has changed hands many times and has even changed addresses. On the other hand, Antoine's Restaurant, located on St. Louis Street in the French Quarter, is 181 years old. Just two years Delmonico's Jr., but our local treasure is still owned and operated by the same family that originally opened its doors in 1840. The founder, Antoine Alciator, was a French immigrant whose line continued with his son Jules who invented the restaurant's famous oysters Rockefeller during his reign there. Jules' son, Roy Alciator, continued the family tradition and was at the helm of the Grand Dame for much of the 20th century. Today, 
Roy's grandson, Rick Blunt, continues the family tradition, despite challenges that his forebearers could hardly imagine. It was Rick who restored and reopened Antoine's after Hurricane Katrina caused extensive damage to the building his great-great-grandfather originally owned. And it's Rick, along with his wife Lisa, who are toiling endlessly these days to keep the institution alive despite the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. Their most recent act of generosity was the donation of the extensive and amazing family archives, which was given over to the care of the historic New Orleans collection in the fall of 2019. Thanks to the gift, those archives are now available for scholars and history buffs alike. To learn more, visit our website, where we've posted the link to a recent piece published by 64 Parishes, which tells the entire amazing story of the Antoine's archives. I'm Poppy Tooker, and at Antoine's Restaurant, you're guaranteed some good Louisiana Eats. I'm Mark Latta, the proprietor of Two Jacks Restaurant. We are at the new location of Two Jacks Restaurant. It's 429 Decatur. We're about five blocks down toward Canal from the old location. Two Jacks Restaurant has been a New Orleans Creole dining institution since 1856, holding the distinction of being the second oldest restaurant in the city and third oldest in the United States. But for Mark Ladder, now the second-generation owner of this storied establishment, Tujac's was a childhood playground. When he wasn't peeking into pots in the kitchen or sneaking down the street for beignets at Café du Monde, Mark could be found using the bar's historic footrail as his personal balance beam. When I was a kid, I'd say four, five, six, and seven, I would play on the brass rail in the bar with all the old regular customers when my dad had the restaurant. You put one arm on the bar and you walk down the rail like you're you're on a tightrope. You're a tightrope walker. (laughs) I think a couple of the dips in the rail are probably because I used to jump on it. At the start of this year, when Tujax moved up to Cater Street to its new location, Mark faced a very different kind of balancing act. Over its long history, Tujax had cultivated a devoted clientele of regulars. With the move, it was important that the new space maintain the same ambiance, character, and old-world charm that had kept them coming back year after year. But Mark also recognized that a change in address presented him with an opportunity to revitalize the family business for a new generation of diners. Just a few blocks upriver from its old home, Tujac's is again housed in a 19th century building with brick walls, tiled floors, and windows facing the Mississippi River across Decatur Street. When we stopped by the new site to see how Tujac's was settling in, I couldn't get over just how familiar everything felt. So we took as many things as we could from the old location. We have the same look for the original flooring, original chairs, 
We built an old banquette that's tufted, same mirrors. And then we brought the actual light fixtures that were in the dining room, main dining room and the bar and kept those in the parlor. We took light fixtures. We took all the artifacts on the wall. We took anything and everything that we could take except the actual bar itself. Mark was kind enough to give us a tour of the new digs, beginning with the first floor parlor and then the bar, a replica of their famous stand-up bar enhanced by the presence of the old bar's beloved brass footrail. Plus a new touch. Here hanging in the bar, we have this amazing Tujac sign that I never remember seeing before. Where did that sign come from? So we found the sign in the attic. Uh, I, I'm guessing that it was on the exterior wall, one of the original signs of Two Jacks. At the bar, we were greeted by a man who played a major role in the move. Hi, I'm Russell Rivette. I'm the general manager here at Two Jacks Restaurant. Russell, it is such a thrill to see you down here at the new location. This move must have been something else. How was it accomplished? Oh, it took us several days. We had a staff of probably 30 to 40 people to help us move everything from the old location to this one, the wine cellar, all of the liquor, everything except for the tables came from the old place here. Um, we tried our hardest to bring as many things from the old restaurant in as far as decor, the pictures, the mini bottles, the light fixtures, the chandeliers. So the customers love the new feel, um, but it's definitely very nostalgic um, and reminiscent of the old Two Jacks as well. That bar was always filled with such colorful folks. And a lot of people would drag chairs out on the corner where there wasn't any place to sit anyhow. Tell me how that's translated and changed now that you've got doors opening all across the front of the building. So the new bar actually has a little bit of a treat. We have seats that we will have at the bar. We have currently three tables um, with chairs around them in the bar area. Um, but once we're allowed to do it, we will actually have stools at the bar, so you no longer have to carry your chair out to the sidewalk. <laughs> Our regulars are here quite often. They wish that they could belly up to the bar. Unfortunately, with COVID, they have to have a seat at a table, um, but we really hope to change that very soon. Russell, Tujax is known for some signature cocktails. Of course, there's the grasshopper. Is the grasshopper experience the same? The grasshopper is exactly the same. That recipe will never change. Um, we do have a new bar manager here. Her name is Alexa Bowler, um, and she is doing some very creative things with the cocktail menu. But we also have the old favorites, like our hurricane that we were so well known for, uh, the grasshopper, obviously old fashions and Sazeracs for sure. Pim's um, cups? Pim's cups. We are doing Pim's cups still. Um, but we also have some new, more creative cocktails that are a little more modern in style, and we're happy about that as well. Russell, when I walked in the door, I was first completely blown away when I saw that old Tujac sign, some, an artifact that I had never seen before hanging in the bar, but then seated below it, there was a very special chair. Tell me about the chair that made the trip. So one of the biggest things you noticed at the old place when you walked into the bar, besides the magnificent mirror behind the bar, was this crown royal chair in purple velvet tucked away in a corner. Uh, that was actually our current proprietor, Mark Ladder's father's chair. Um, he was known to sit in that chair and greet guests from the bar, hang out with all the old regulars. 
Um, and our designer did a really great job of incorporating that into the new bar underneath the very old sign and the artist palette table that was in our bar as well that was always treasured sitting right next to it. Well, I bet that must be a favorite spot for selfies and group shots. What's going on like that down here? Oh, that's definitely the Instagram moment. Uh, so many people on their way out take pictures. I would say almost every single person in here has had their photograph taken right in that spot. Well, in that case, I need my picture taken there right this minute. Oh, let's, let's do it. After snapping a couple of selfies, our tour continued as Mark Ladder took us into the Begay room. Now this room is a replica of the original of the main dining room in the old location. We have my dad's miniature liquor bottle collection. We did the same wainscoting, same mirrors. Absolutely. It feels just like home. But I see something just beyond this dining room. This wasn't around. My favorite part of the I have two favorite areas. I have a favorite table and then I have a favorite area. We have a beautifully landscaped by Luna Botanical Courtyard now. A courtyard? Oh, Mark, I love it out here. It is truly a classic New Orleans courtyard. This is amazing. It's, it's secluded away from the street, so when you're back here, you know, we'll play music and you feel like you're just away from the hustle and bustle. We didn't have any outdoor space at the old location except for the balcony, but it was too narrow to see people. I guess you can have really great special events out here, too. Absolutely. I mean, it's big enough we can really do anything. You can have a small wedding here and then go upstairs in one of the private rooms to have the reception. We're going to do happy hour out here. We're going to do crawfish. Crawfish? That's all new. Roby can do anything in that kitchen, Absolutely. Huh? He's got a lot of space back there. My name is Thomas Roby, and I'm the executive chef here at Two Jacks. Moving on to Tujak's new kitchen, I found Chef Thomas Roby. After a long career at Commander's Palace, he signed on as Tujak's executive chef in 2018, where for two years he worked in a kitchen that was, shall we say, grandfathered in. It's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing situation. As much as we love the old building, the new facility we're in is so much bigger and better and cleaner and I'm fairly confident there's no asbestos, you know? Uh, but the kitchen is huge. I have more walk-in space than I had kitchen space in the old place. The walk-in is bigger than the kitchen. You yeah. know, and I it's don't... got a metal floor. The old kitchen had a, had a wooden floor in the walk-in. My last Christmas there, we did 865 people on eight burners. <laughs> you are Superman, huh? We all have our moments. We all have our moments. And it's... It's all about having a good crew, too. I'm very fortunate to have the people I have now. You know, uh, it was a tough nine months sitting around the house. I don't know who's more happy that I'm back to work, my paycheck or my liver. But we're just so proud to be here, and it's good to see you. Well, introduce me to your fabulous kitchen. Well, this is the pantry. Uh, this is where all the salads, uh, cold appetizers, and desserts come from. That's what Miss Lane's holding down. Hi, doing? We've expanded the dessert menu. Before we only had three desserts. Now at brunch we're serving classic beignets. We've got a Bananas Foster custard cream pie. We've gone to a more traditional bread pudding with raisins and, and whiskey sauce. And it's just so much more fluid than the old one used to be. I mean, uh, sometimes I felt like we were selling bricks. And that's, that's not our goal now. 
You come around here, this is our soup station. We have three soups every day. We have our sausage and chicken gumbo. Some people call that yaya. Uh, the soup du jour today is a cauliflower curry. And uh, now we've added on the menu classic turtle soup. We both know I've been cooking turtle soup for a long time. Oh, let me guess. Did you learn how to make that turtle soup at Commander's Palace, It was some blue and white deli uptown. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> on the hotline, we've got a 35-pound fryer, 10 burners, 4-foot char grill, 8 burners, 4-foot flat top. I've got 8 feet of salamander space and another fryer. I have two walk-ins now. I even have, actually I have three walk-ins. I've got a walk-in for my garbage. So this walk-in is just for prepared items, ready to go out onto the line. It's kind of empty right now because we, like to, we don't like to hold on to any products more than two or three days. <laughs> and then the one thing I have here that I'd never had at the old place is a back line where I do my own production. At the old place, like around the holidays, when I'd be doing the short ribs and the lamb shanks, I'd have to get there at four in the morning to get out of the cook's way. But now, I have my own space where I can do my own cooking. Uh, it's, it's still a work in progress. We, we still need a bunch of shelving and all to get organized, but uh, we're doing it as we go. So chef, tell me, when you're blowing and going, okay, you drop the number about what happened for Christmas, the last Christmas you were open, what kind of numbers are you capable of here? Oh, 15, 1600 people. Oh my gosh, it's almost like... That blue deli up, uh, up on Washington <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> Congratulations, Roby. I'm proud to be here every day. I gotta go make some hollandaise now, so I, I thank you for coming into my kitchen. You guys know you're welcome anytime. And uh, go see the rest of this place. You're gonna be amazed. Back with Mark Ladder, we traveled to the second floor in a way that wasn't an option at the old Two Shacks. Mark, we're in an elevator. So instead of the winding stairs that were not up to code and people would tumble down and then have to, we'd have to help them up, we have this thing called an elevator in the new location. Many and many parties could not book with us because, you know, somebody's grandmother couldn't make it upstairs or somebody in a wheelchair couldn't make it upstairs. And we're fully accessible at this restaurant. Upon entering the second floor, my eyes were immediately drawn to a walk-in wine cellar made entirely out of glass. Right when you walk out of the elevator, we had an area where we didn't want to put tables because nobody wants to sit outside the elevator. So we built a beautiful walk-in wine cellar. We're going to expand our wine list. And as a guest, you can walk in there and hand select your, your own wines. How many bottles of wine on average do you, are available in your cellars now? We have about 300 different selections. But we, as business grows, we're going to grow the selection. As it turns out, the great glass wine cellar isn't the only novelty to be found on the second floor. Next, Mark took me into two rooms that demonstrate his commitment to revitalizing the restaurant in its new home. So we chose one room in the restaurant to be a little more modern and try to get where the next generation would come and do their Instagram pictures. So we have the patio room. The patio room opens up to the courtyard and it's li the live greenery coming off the mirrors. All of that is li alive. Wow. Uh, Luna Botanicals did that as well. And I've never so seen anything like that. It's like old mirrors, kind of foggy, like maybe the ghosts are trying to get in, but there's fern and greenery growing 
out of the old mirrored pictures. I would imagine this is going to be our most popular private party room. Come on in. What room is this, Mark? So we are in the first all-women crew room in the city of New Orleans, Crew of Iris. Uh, we're very happy to partner with them, and my wife is a member of Crew of Iris, so I really didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Barry Kern and Mardi Gras World came and helped us do a mural of the old Rush Two Jacks restaurant with a Mardi Gras theme. It also has Iris's title float. This is a real first. <laughs> Another first for Tujacs is their new balcony seating. So this is a full-service balcony. You can sit down, have brunch, happy hour, or dinner, and you can have a view of the river. Decatur Street is you know, getting busier and busier. It's great for people watching. My goodness, I can see Jackson Square from here. And you're about 15 feet away from one French Quarter Fest stage and we're about 100 feet away from a second French Quarter Fest stage. Oh so dear. This will be a coveted spot come September 30th. For the final stop on our tour, we rode the elevator to the third floor where Mark showed us a space he's earmarked for private parties. This is what I call the rehearsal dinner room. We have the wainscoting on the wall. I think this, the paneling, this is more traditional New Orleans. We have a big room to the right and then we have a small room to the left. The small room, our goal is to do a lot of intimate wine dinners where it's paired with five different courses. Cocktails in the small room, dinner in the big room. We have pictures of the bar, but if you notice on the windows, we, those, those tees were from the original tees from the doors. That's really lovely. There is that old Tujac's touch. You have customers who go back for generations, people who have spent every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, right here since probably even before your father's time. How have they responded to this move? The response has been unbelievable. I think everyone was nervous that it wouldn't re remind them of the old Two Jacks. I'd say 95% of the folks that have come in here that used to dine at the old restaurant have said that it feels like the old Two Jacks, especially with the floor on the first floor. You know, it's, it's a little more modern and it's updated and there's an elevator, but they f still feel like they're in Two Jacks restaurant, which was very important to all of us. Tell me all of the things that you dream will happen in this restaurant. So with the new location, having the elevator, we, we can have four or five private parties at the same time and still have a la carte business. You know, we have a courtyard now in beautiful weather. We have a balcony. We just we, It opens us up to uh, booking so many different more events. We can do weddings, small weddings. We can do receptions. We can do bridal showers in the courtyard. It's just it, the options are limitless now. Well, Mark, I'm just so thrilled how my very favorite place has grown. So congratulations. I just can't wait for all of the fun that I know we're going to have here together. Absolutely. That was Mark Ladder, Chef Thomas Roby, and Russell Rivette of Two Jacks Restaurant at its new location at 429 Decatur Street. it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats. 
edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Explore the Taste of Flavor are a new series of cooking classes we're producing with Louisiana Fish Fry. In each class, you'll get to cook along with me as you master a classic Louisiana dish. Our first class takes place on Friday, March 26th, featuring Catfish Pecan Meniere and Louisiana Fish Fry's Etouffee. The class is free, but we're accepting donations to support the Louisiana Hospitality Foundation. To learn more and sign up, head to louisianafishfry.com. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and videos, too. And if you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods and wooden cellars, D'Agostino Pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>